Chapter Eleven of A Diamond Sky Above Titanic, a Good Omens fan fiction, written by C. Blue Eyes, read aloud by Sky Asimaru. If you enjoy this podfic, you can check out the original story on archive of our own. If you would like to hear more of my recordings or see some of my own work. You can find me through the pen and screen name of Sky Asimaru. A Diamond Sky Above Titanic, Chapter Eleven, A Building Panic. Aziraphale walked slightly ahead of the demon. He kept his face turned just so, just enough to hold himself from Crowley's view. He walked briskly, erectly, like a man who knew where he was going. He didn't. It was a mannerism peculiar to him. Crowley had found. As they walked on apart, he remembered how the day after Rome fell, the angel asked him if he would like a cup of tea. How, throughout the first night of the Spanish Armada's attack, they dined in silence in a little Cornish cafe on the peninsula, with red checkered tablecloths and a specialty in salted sea bass. And Crowley remembered an earlier conversation between sheets. How the angel flew over the great fire of London, to see the colors, to see it with his own eyes, the suffering beyond his control, beyond his principalistic capability to ever set right, beyond his capability to endure. It was, he knew, the only way Aziraphale knew how to grieve, to carry on business as usual. From behind them came shouts and mechanical clinging, and the cranking of winches. Whistles were blasted, orders were yelled, bolts were hacked, covers were torn off lifeboats. Like some ritualistic chant, men cried. Pull, pull! As they heaved at something, the decks of Titanic were crawling with crew, running around in every direction, and to add further to the overall feel of utter chaos, the four massive funnels overhead screamed and hissed as steam from the cooling engines was released into the atmosphere. Crowley held back when they reached the near silent stern. He let Aziraphale go ahead, taking the railings between hands that gripped as though they might hold the ship at her present horizontality forever. He watched the angel keep himself perfectly still as the surface of the ocean enclosing them. Aziraphale had cried at the crucifixion of Christ. Crowley had patted him awkwardly on the shoulder in the musty tavern afterward, declined good old Governor Pontius's celebratory party invite to stay with him, 
Aziraphale had cried at the death of his first and last apprentice some time in the eighteenth century. Charles, his name was. Charlie? He was nineteen when Hepatitis stole his family one by one. Aziraphale had nursed the boy himself. That night, Crowley had let the angel weep on his shoulder, had held him and hushed him and passed him bottle after bottle until the light of a new day slipped beneath the door and ineffability became one of those endless, meaningless words that are impossible to pronounce, and better reserved for people with nothing better to talk about. Aziraphale rarely cried. Crowley couldn't blame him. You lived as long as they did. It would kill you. Presently, Aziraphale laid his head against his forearms, across the railings, as though in prayer, and wept. Crowley froze. The tears of an angel, it must be said, are strange things, shed in the moment of the weeper's greatest weakness, his darkest sorrow and deepest pain and most desperate time. Their ultimate purpose serves as an angel's final line of defense to unhinge the opportunist adversary who might dare take advantage of such vulnerability. Also to humiliate said adversary, because God can be a bit of a bastard when he wants to be. Unfortunately, Crowley, by technicalities, was fundamentally classed as such an adversary. It was for this reason that, instead of acting as a normal lover might have, by taking the angel in his arms and rocking him, whispering comforting nothings in his ear, perhaps poetically catching a tear on his smallest finger, the demon found himself stepping forward, shoulders and brows crumpling in shame, and blurting out before he knew what was happening. I'm the reason there's not enough lifeboats, Aziraphale. Aziraphale ceased his sniveling. He looked up, red-eyed and disoriented, as though from sleep. He blinked at his adversary. What? he said. Crowley was powerless to stop himself. It was a physical need as involuntary as nausea. It was as though all his sins had turned to ash in his body, and his only salvation was to choke them up. It's all because of me, Aziraphale, he cried, stepping forward and grasping both of the angel's hands in desperation. His voice increased in pitch and anguish with every syllable. 
Me. I didn't mean for it to get out of hand, but the humans got my idea of economising in their heads, and they just didn't know where to draw the line. I never wanted them to cut down on the lifeboats, but I did nothing to stop it. I didn't even make them listen to Andrews about it. And I'm completely responsible for the small rudder. And I was the one who hid the lookout's binoculars. And I told Ismay how nice it would be to go faster. It's all my fault, Zeraphil. It's completely my fault. If I'd only stood up to Asmodeus or seen the berg sooner or... or anything. Crowley, calm down. Aziraphale had turned and shook him by both shoulders. When he next spoke, his voice was contrite. Uh, oh dear, I do apologize. I always forget the effect that... Uh, that has on you. I truly am sorry. But the boats... began Crowley, ignoring the apology... Some semblance of sense was slowly slithering back into his mind, and with it, bone-deep humiliation. It's all my fault. I already knew about the lifeboats, Crowley. I was the one who set up the protest in the telegraph. Crowley blinked at him. Uh, you're... you're serious? Well, of course I am. I knew it could only end in tears. Most certainly my own. <laughs> he self-consciously wiped his eyes, and Crowley flinched at the sight. Oh, dear. We're a right pair, the both of us, in a crisis, aren't we? Aziraphale smiled tremulously. Crowley stared. He couldn't return the smile. He studied his companion, barely daring to hope. So you... you honestly knew about the lifeboats this whole time? Indeed. After my peaceful protest went downhill... <laughs> what peaceful protest? I don't recall any protest. Aziraphale looked abashed. Well, uh, like I said, it uh, all went rather downhill. Anyway, after that, I wrote to the heavenly host, requesting that I be allowed to intervene regardless, but, uh, well, no such luck. <laughs> Even that's a little too ineffable for the big boys, surely. If they knew there was a chance of, of this happening... Aziraphale shrugged. <laughs> like they say, it is not given to us to understand his ineffable wisdom. Crowley made an incoherent, dismissive sound that sounded something like, <laughs> and turned away. It was then that Aziraphale remembered, and, on remembering, wondered how he could have ever forgotten. You know, Crowley, there was something important I was going to tell you when I found you at the bow earlier, but in all the distractions, I, I'm afraid I forgot. 
Crowley raised his eyebrows at him in a manner that was most likely supposed to appear politely inquiring. With heavy reluctance, Aziraphale went on after a moment, addressing the perfectly still Atlantic. The water should have been roaring past them, far below, but all was still. <clears throat> on the subject of the heavenly host, the, uh, the Metatron, he, uh, he spoke with me earlier. Crowley, most alarmingly, blinked. The Metatron? There was a horrible pause as he tried to register this unnervingly uncommon occurrence. As in, as in the Metatron, the voice of God, the Chancellor of Heaven, the great celestial cheerleader, etc.? Uh, if you say so, said Aziraphale, hastily banishing the image of gaily twirling pom-poms in the highest heavens from his mind. The Metatron, uh, he told me, oh, cruelly, he told me that heaven knows about us, only about our friendship, he added quickly, seeing Crowley start in horror. They just put two and two together, knowing that I hadn't been discorporated by you for some time. It was bound to happen eventually. Crowley stared numbly at the angel. What did they say, then, about that? Aziraphale hesitated. He was wondering, not for the first time, if it was really necessary to tell the demon all this and just make an already absolutely indescribably awful situation even worse. But this concerned the both of them. It was his duty to let Crowley know. He had a right to know. Eventually, he forced himself to go on, realizing how alarming his silence must be. He scrubbed at his eyes with the back of a hand in a feeble excuse for averting his gaze. He said, uh, he said that the next time I'm, you know, up there, they're going to detain me for time, just to uh, straighten things out. He said he wouldn't be surprised if you receive similar treatment from your side as well. Something about the source of their information being mutually exclusive or some such. <laughs> Batting for the other side, was he? murmured Crowley humorlessly. Aziraphale, confused by the idiom, was silent. The sounds of the crew's efforts to free the lifeboats went on behind them, as noisily as ever, but it suddenly seemed as though the two were locked in their own pearl of solitude. So, are you telling me... Crowley spoke again, slowly, after several terrible protracted moments. Uh, 
Are you telling me that the next time we're discorporated, we might not come back? Aziraphale winced. Well, no, he couldn't lie. It wasn't fair. Crowley deserved to know what they were up against. I think that's a possibility, yes, he admitted. Crowley's eyes widened so much that the angel caught a flash of night-dimmed yellow behind the glasses. On the decks, there was a crash and a cheer, and the pool chanting did not resume. Okay, he said after a while, aiming for casual and missing by several nautical miles. All right, so all we have to do is just not get discorporated then. Right, Aziraphale nodded in what he imagined was an encouraging manner. On a sinking ship, without enough lifeboats. Sounds like a plan, my dear. Crowley smiled cheerfully at him. <laughs> it will be all right. We'll get a spot. His smile faded when he noticed the expression on Aziraphale's face. Aziraphale, he asked, cautiously peering at the angel. Then, realizing he was seized by a sudden rush of anxiety. Aziraphale, you, you are going to get on a boat, aren't you? Aziraphale looked wretched. He spread his flawlessly manicured hands in a feeble plea for pardon. Well, I'm an angel, my dear. Crowley stared at him. Yeah, Aziraphale, that hadn't escaped my notice. Well, I can't just get on a lifeboat and abandon ship now, can I? I've got to help. I've got to save people. It's down to my basic, oh, you know, nature. Crowley couldn't believe what he was hearing. Aziraphale, you just told me that heaven and hell are out to get us. Are you honestly going to risk your life on earth, risk the wrath of heaven, just to save a handful of extra humans? Aziraphale grimaced, but didn't retract his statement. I'm an angel, Crowley. He mumbled again, suddenly very interested in the labels of the demon's jacket. Crowley just stared at him in incredulity. Then he raised his hands up in the air. <laughs> okay, fine. If I stay and, and don't help you, but don't get in the way. He was a demon, after all. And then will you promise you'll get on a boat with me when the time comes? Yeah? Aziraphale looked surprised. Then he smiled, awkwardly and unsurely. You'd... you'd do that for me? Crowley closed his eyes in exasperation, then said grudgingly, <sighs> Yeah, Aziraphale, I would.
Suppose I owe you what with the whole uh, lifeboat thing. And now just shut up about it, Kai, and let's get a move on before the panic really begins. Yeah, of course, of course, beamed Aziraphale, nodding at him, then unable to help himself. You know, cruelly, when you want to be, you can really be such a... Angel, what did I just say? Right, right, Aziraphale said quickly, holding his palms up in submission. Crowley half turned, then stopped. Uh, he said, where's the best place to start? You know, with this valiant quest of ours. Do we just tell anyone we can find to get on a boat as fast as they can? Or what? We'll find Thomas Andrews, said Aziraphale firmly, nodding to himself. The memory of kind brown eyes blossomed before his mind's eye. Yes, there was no one else. Thomas Andrews will know what to do. Inside the first-class lounge, it was as though nothing had happened. The band was still playing. The waiters were still offering pretty cocktails. The people were still laughing and chatting civilly in groups, in their tuxedos and elegant gowns, in their airs and graces. The only signs that anything was amiss were the chunky few in life belts and the fact that when walking one way, the tilt of the ship was so that it was slightly more effort than walking the other way. It didn't seem as though a single person was aware that the ship was sinking from beneath them. Excuse me, can we get through, please? Crowley and Aziraphale pushed their way through the groups of people milling around. So sorry, yes, please do excuse us. Ah, come on, people, move it! Aziraphale stopped, catching sight of something Crowley had not, then strode forward to where Thomas Andrews was walking slowly ahead of them, almost as though in a trance. His side profile was clearly in view, and the angel caught his breath at the expression on his face. A dead man walking. A dead man surrounded by dead people and dead dreams. Aziraphale didn't need telepathy to read his thoughts as he stared around at all the grandeur surrounding them. All of this splendor, this richness, this mastery, his mastery, was all going to be on the floor of the abyssal plain in less than two hours. Everything he had worked for, and everything she had stood for as a result of that work, was to be lost. The only thing standing between them and the tragedy of the century was time. Aziraphale felt his throat close, felt as he always did, especially around these good souls, that pain as his own, 
Under normal circumstances, he would be capable of holding all that pain within him, of granting the sufferer a time of reprieve away from their grief. But tonight he was too saturated with his own sorrow to contain the crosses of others. And he knew that tonight, only hours away from now, he was going to have to experience the pain of far more people. It was almost more than an angel could bear. Swallowing, feeling his earlier tears pricking through his self-control, he caught the shipbuilder gently by the arm. Mr. Andrews! Thomas Andrews had been so consumed by his thoughts that he spun around in alarm at the sudden contact. Aziraphale took a half-step back in surprise, but didn't release his hold. Behind them, the band finished their piece, the upbeat Alexander's Ragtime Band, and initiated another equally jolly and equally unbefitting composition. And Crowley, struck by an idea and seeing a Aziraphale preoccupied with Andrews, snaked away over to them. Aziraphale stared deep into Andrews's tortured brown eyes, into his very soul. Mr. Foe, the shipbuilder managed eventually, finding propriety at last. His voice was flat and empty. Aziraphale, with difficulty, resisted the sudden urge to envelop this poor man in a big, warm, angelic hug. Mr. Andrews, he said again, pulling himself back into sense. Crowley and I, we're here to offer our help. Anything we can do at all to warn people, to get them out, we'll do it. Just point us in the right direction. Crowley, meanwhile, drummed his long fingers on his chin as he thought, watching the band. Mr. Andrews seemed to register the angel's offer. Surprise, then resistance, both crossed his features. And finally, resignation, seeing the determination in the other man's eyes. He took Aziraphale by both shoulders and stared at him with such intensity that the angel almost felt it as physical contact. Thank you said Andrews, with such sincerity, such heartfelt gratitude in those gentle eyes, that Aziraphale, discomposed as it was by the benign righteousness now enveloping him from the inside, felt the lump return in his throat. Oh, but how he didn't deserve this! Such a pure, good, happy soul! How could he deserve to have his greatest work, his pride, his whole heart, senselessly swallowed up by the sea? Where was the ineffability in that? Where was the justice? <sighs> that would be very much appreciated, Mr. Fell. It's Aziraphale, Aziraphale blurted suddenly. What? My name? the angel explained, reddening. It's one word, Aziraphale, not Aziraphale. 
there was a melodious pinging sound behind them that reverberated, rather akin to a violin string snapping. And then another. A seraphil, repeated Andrews softly, trying it. Then he smiled, sadly and handsomely, and filled with ineffable tragedy. <laughs> it's beautiful, Aziraphale. Aziraphale, because he could feel his eyes misting up, smiled back, then quickly went on. He was vaguely aware that the band had stopped playing. So, uh, what can we do, then, to help? Andrews, too, seemed more comfortable on this more socially acceptable territory, and with something to focus on, he looked slightly more like his old self. All right, we don't want to be responsible for a panic, so individually notifying the women and their children to get to a boat as quickly as possible is the only way this is going to work. Right, Aziraphale said, nodding. There isn't any sense in making a public announcement. It would only... Ladies and gentlemen, publicly announced a voice over the din of the room. Aziraphale and Andrews turned around, startled. Ladies and gentlemen, said the voice again as the chatter quickly quietened. Hi. If you could all just listen to me for a moment, please, that would be really great. Oh, no, said Aziraphale in horror, staring at Crowley from across the room. Oh, no. Crowley, standing on the cellist's chair, smiled beatifically at the crowd. That's great. Thanks, people. Now, I know a lot of you have been told to put on your life belts and to dress warmly and to go stand outside and all, but nobody's really told you what's going on, have they? Oh, no, said Thomas Andrews. He took a step forward, then stopped, knowing it was too late. Well continued Crowley, spreading his hands in a sort of apologetic shrug. You see, the ship's sinking, guys. There is a collective cry of horror, like a thousand birds taking flight at once. Yeah, Crowley rubbed the back of his neck in mock embarrassment as the shouts of panic, the voices raised in fear and indignation, the questions and accusations and curses began. Truly sorry about that. Aziraphale smacked his palm to his forehead in chagrin. And Crowley, from across the room, in the midst of his pandemonium, beamed at them both and gave them a little wave. Oh, come on! Don't be mad, Angel! It's not like we could have honestly gone around telling people one by one to get to a lifeboat. Where's the fairness in that? This way, everyone's got a fighting chance. Survival of the fittest, right? Oh, you know as well as I do that natural selection is one of the most heinous and misguided of 
theorems, snapped Aziraphale, pushing carefully and politely, of course, past scrambling families down the narrow corridor. Can not my fault! The buggers thought that one up all by themselves. I swear down. Aziraphale was too worried to give Crowley the glare he probably deserved as they ran down some stairs to E-Deck. They stopped dead when they saw the water at the bottom, maybe waist-deep, casting undulating ripples of light against the corridor walls. It could have been a poorly placed swimming pool. So, uh, what are we doing down here again? asked Crowley, staring down uncertainly. Checking that everyone's got out okay, said Aziraphale determinedly. He took a step down into the scarcely above freezing water, and then another, and one more, until his foot reached the bottom. Despite himself, he gasped at the biting cold, shuddering convulsively. Crowley recoiled in disgust as he was splashed. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely not going to work, he muttered to himself. With a stern look, the water ebbed back on itself, retreating down the corridor before disappearing around a corner. The only evidence that it had ever been present were the droplets trickling in broken veins down the paneling, the little pools puddling in slight imperfections in the levelness of the floor before running down the slant, the angel soaked to the waist, staring as the demon strolled down the last of the steps and walked past him, comfortably dry. You do realize that we're going to have to get wet sooner or later. Oh, yeah? Tell me you're not still planning on giving your seat to some ungrateful human, are you? Not when I'm down here risking my neck to help you. What? Oh, no. No, of course not, dear. Aziraphale's feet made little squelching noises as the linoleum sucked at the soles of his shoes. He knocked on the door nearest to him before pushing it open and calling out, Hello? Is there anyone in here? Crowley began to do the same for his side of the corridor, not bothering to knock. He wasn't, strictly speaking, helping. He was more just making sure this got done fast enough for them to get the heavens out of there. That was all. After another minute of opening doors at random, Aziraphale couldn't help himself. Well, we are immortal, dear. Humans only have one shot at life. Once they're gone, that's it. Crowley gritted his teeth as he banged open another door with more force than was strictly necessary. <sighs> Aziraphale, we are not having this conversation again. We're not chancing on the mercies of heaven and hell. Got it? Aziraphale didn't answer. Got it? Yes, yes, all right, said Aziraphale grudgingly. Around their circle of dryness, the water was creeping ever higher. Crowley sighed. 
This is stupid, Angel. I know, dear. Once you're wet, you really don't notice it as much. You'd be better off just getting it over with. Not the water. I'm talking about this. He gestured around him with his hands. This place is empty. We're just wasting time. And there's no one down here. Cruelly. Then every light down the corridor faded out. They both jumped in shock, then cried out as icy water splashed around them thigh deep. Crowley, his point of focus gone, had lost his hold against it. Now it regained its righteous place against their warm, dry bodies with a gleeful vengeance. Crowley hissed in pain. Ah, bloody hell, that's cold! Bloody hell, that's so bloody! All of a sudden, Aziraphale, one step into the room behind his present door, was completely lit up with a brilliant, harsh, and unmistakably divine blue shaft of light that struck him with searchlight intensity. Crowley, filled with horror and midway through his sibilant string of blessings, flattened himself out of view against the nearest wall, suppressed the almost overpowering instinct to transform into something of the Ophidian variety, and kept completely still. This time the Metatron didn't bother with greetings. Aziraphale! said the seraph, voice brusque and icy. Prayers have been coming in this past half hour, informing us that your ship is no longer functioning. We require confirmation. As if the rising water freezing the very air wasn't evidence enough of that, thought Crowley contemptuously. He was biting his tongue to keep from crying out at the chill. Uh, said Aziraphale. Uh, well, yes, the Titanic is indeed sinking. There was a silence. Then... Are we to understand that the demon had something to do with this? Crowley? Aziraphale's voice calculatedly adopted the tone of the mildly surprised. Oh, no, 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 most definitely not. He was with me when it happened. I've been with him all day. Crowley, in the dark against his wall, squeezed his eyes shut with a barely concealed groan. Ah. You have continued your fraternization with the enemy, then, we note with interest, said the Metatron coldly. Despite our conversation earlier. Aziraphale opened his mouth, then closed it again. I see a change of plans will be necessary. We would have preferred to have had a divine representative on board if your titan is indeed sinking. But we cannot risk your further corruption by the serpent. 
you will be detained in heaven and undergo a rehabilitation program for the time being until we decide whether you are still fit to denote us on Earth. Aziraphale's jaw fell open in his horror. Yeah, but I am fit! Please, you resplendent! Prepare yourself, Aziraphale! The light was growing brighter. No, no, please wait! Crowley had heard enough with a snarl of hatred for that abhorred seraph. <coughs> he rounded through the doorway and dived head first on Aziraphale, straight into that terrible celestial light, so hard that they were both shoved under the water. A split second later, and all of the electric lights had buzzed back into life, and the bluish heavenly glow and the Metatron was gone. Crowley, on all fours neck deep in water, was steaming. Shit, it burns! he cried, splashing and writhing. Zerfell, it burns! Shit! Crowley! Aziraphale exclaimed in alarm. He grabbed the demon and pushed him under the surface, completely submerging him, then pulled back when he felt startled retaliation beneath his hands. Crowley burst up like a bat out of hell, spluttering and gasping. Gosh, what the bloody hell was that for? He hissed, not in anger, but mere shock. His shades were hanging off one ear, and his sleek hair was stuck against his forehead. The rise of his nipples was clearly visible through his soaked white shirt, but at least the steam had died back. Aziraphale wiped his sopping curls out of his eyes and let out a sigh of relief. Oh, Crowley, I'm so sorry, my dear. I thought you were melting. He realized that he was trembling all over. The horror and fear and adrenaline of the past ten seconds having now taken flight. Crowley stared, then actually found it in himself to laugh. <laughs> he stood shakily up, water sloshing noisily around him, and offered a hand to pull his seraphil to his feet. The angel took it and stood unsteadily on the sloping floor. The water was only up to their thighs in here, but they could hear a distant roar as more rushed in through the vents outside in the corridor. Come on, this whole place is flooding. Crowley took the angel by the hand as they waded over to the doorway. Shit, I thought you were supposed to feel the cold less once you went under. They looked down the corridor, down the tilt of the ship to where the stairs were, but they were submerged. In that direction, the corridor was flooded to nearly the ceiling and still filling up. That's the way out, said Aziraphale over the gushing of the water. Crowley took his hand again and pulled him back opposite to the way they had come. <laughs> way to state the blessed obvious, Angel. Yeah, come on, we'll have to find another way. 
they sloshed their way up the incline of the ship, out of the water. Crowley, the only one with vague knowledge of the ship's floor plans, led the way. Above them, electricity hissed sparks that rained, and every now and again there came a horrific groaning, like an ancient tree contorting in the wind. It was the creaks and complaints of the hull as the stern was lifted slowly out of the ocean. It sounded like Titanic was howling in agony. And still, they continued to make their way through the maze that was E-Deck. Everything seemed all the same. The same long white corridors. The same closed doors on both sides. The same pipes and bright lights and sterile emptiness. They were making no progress, and all the while the incline steepened, a constant reminder that they were running out of time. They couldn't possibly get lost and trapped down here. They had to get to the lifeboats. They had to live. After an indeterminable amount of time's fruitless searching, the lights dimmed out again. Crowley and Aziraphale froze. Then they faded back again, and Crowley had time to catch the look of horror on his angel's pale face, and Aziraphale the look of horror on Crowley's pale face, before they went out once more, and this time stayed out. For a moment, there was nothing but the sound of their heavy breathing and blackness. Even their night vision couldn't penetrate it. They could have gone blind. Then the ship roared again, that awful moaning, as wood and steel were forced to bend in ways in which they couldn't, and they both flinched in fear, instinctively seized each other in the dark. It was like being in the belly of a monster. Crowley and Aziraphale, overcome with sudden, paralyzing claustrophobia, squeezed their eyes shut and pressed their faces against the other, praying for it to be over. Then the power came back. The angel and the demon opened their eyes, flinched against the harsh light as their pupils narrowed. They took an awkward step back from one another, met each other's eyes, abashed at their fears, fears which, in the bright artificial glare of the bulbs overhead, seemed so foolish now. Then they threw themselves into each other's arms and were kissing. They locked themselves together with that kiss, reinforced their bond with incoherent moans of pleasure and despair, and everything in between that rushed from them like the lyrics to some beautiful lament that only they knew and were duetting. Fear tastes like salt and ice and the wasting of lost time. Around them, the ship continued its creaking, continued its sinking. Time was ebbing away as fast as the water was rising. Every second lost was life lost.
Every second in the arms of the other was life gained. How typical it was, thought Crowley, that they had almost 6,000 years of each other's company, of acquaintance or enmity or reluctant friendship. And then they realized this whilst on a sinking, unsinkable ship. Just bloody typical. His lips at Aziraphale's ear. He told him this. He felt the angel's smile, small and sad, against his cheek. Then, after a moment, his murmured reply. <laughs> I suppose it's all just inif... Ineffectual, inefficient, bloody ridiculous. Aziraphale looked down with a sheepish smile. <laughs> Actually, I was going to say... Crowley brought a swift finger up to his counterpart's lips, shushed him. He smiled briefly. <laughs> no, Angel, it isn't. Aziraphale's lips curved upwards at the touch. Come on, Crowley spun around, grabbing him by the hand. They were wasting far too much time. We've got a boat to catch. To be continued in Chapter 12. Thank you for reading. Please drop by the archive and let the author know what you thought of their work.